The Incomparable Podcast, number 54, August 2011. So we're back on The Incomparable. I'm Jason Snell. It is uh, the Comic Book Club. I convene this meeting of the Comic Book Club. Joining me today in the studio to talk about comic-related issues are Jason Brightman. Hi, Jason. Hey, everyone. The price of comics is very high. That's not what I mean by issues. Or, or comic issues, individual issues of comics. What are individual issues of comics? Yes, exactly. And Lisa Schmeiser is also here. Hi, Lisa. I'm unloading all of my individual issues of comics. All right. If anybody wants them. Well, everybody needs to get rid of their issues and move on with their <laughs> lives eventually. That's just how it is. Anyway, our topic today is uh, Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of many different comics in very many different places. He's also written some uh, TV. I think he wrote... I think I counted, it's like five episodes of Lost. He's written some screenplays. He's done all sorts of other things. But I think we're going to focus on three of his comics in particular. Runaways, which he did for Marvel, which is in many ways the the last creator kind of uh, creator created, uh, not you know for a corporate entity comic at Marvel, or at least the only one I can think of in a long time where a really strong piece of intellectual property was actually created out of nothing by a writer, which is interesting because usually they just take it and build their own series around it and they own all the characters. But he created that for Marvel. Um, and then Joss Whedon picked it up later and did a series of that. Um, the two creator-owned Brian K. Vaughn series that we're going to talk about are Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. Uh, so we've got three Brian K. Vaughn topics to go on today and uh i i just i was cramming this week i i read the rest of ex machina which i hadn't finished and i went back and i reread why the last man so i'm ready nice whose idea was it to do this podcast by the way lisa's i believe it was mine all right lisa maybe you can get us started then which what would you like to tackle first that's a good question i was going to ask what everyone thinks of the runaways because in many ways i feel like it's his tightest cleanest work and uh, I would love to hear opinions on whether – and I, I find that interesting because it's a piece of work for Marvel, which doesn't have a vested interest in making sure that comic books are tight and clean, but rather has a vested interest in making sure they've got a narrative they can flog for years and years and years at a time. And yet if you read the first uh, installment of Runaways that he wrote, it's it's an excellent standalone series. You could walk away from it when it was done and uh, never have to pick it up again, and you'd have a very satisfying book. I mean, the beauty of creating new characters is you can start clean and tell a relatively clean story in a yes. way you can't if you have to go back over. Well, everything about the story is just re- – it hangs together beautifully. Um, I feel like we should just blow the spoiler alert horn now so that we can continue this discussion. Well, well but- let's talk about the fundamental premise of it before we blow the spoiler horn in it because it doesn't, it doesn't yes. really spoil it to say the, that – The that- fundamental premise is what happens if you discover that your parents and all of their boring friends that they hang out with once a year are actually a cabal of supervillains <laughs> encompassing everything from – This guy is from- great with the big – the yeah. high concept, and isn't That's he? actually what I was going to say. That I, it's I think it's, it's, it's safe to say he's the best concept guy yeah. in the industry. Like I'd love to be in the pitch meetings because all of his books – can do that one sentence pitch where you just go, "That's a brilliant idea." His pitches are basically tweets, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're so as a, as a best a best elevator pitch uh, yeah. practice would be. Sadly, I do think those are the best parts of his book. The, huh. the, the he's got the high concept really well, mm-hmm. and then it starts to me breaking down on the 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 character story yeah. bit. I always enjoy the concepts more than I enjoy the stories. So, with if that makes sense. Okay, so with Runaways, the the way it's played is is uh, is really interesting. They the kids discover this about their parents, and that initial arc is, I think, I think really amazing. Now it does continue on beyond that, and that's I think where you get into this question of what is the premise here? Is there enough to sustain it? When does it become just sort of an endless story of um, you know these characters? having adventures versus telling an arc where the other two books do have an arc and they do have an ending runaways is a marvel comic it's open-ended they they sort of solve the mystery of their parents and then they move on sort of all right the the story right really really good that first arc talk to me about the characters 
Do you remember any of their names? There's Carolina, who's the space alien. Yeah. And a lesbian. She's a lesbian, There yes. is Alex, who is the uh, brainy guy who ultimately sells out the team. There's Molly, who is the mutant. There's Gertrude, who is bonded to the Tyrannosaurus Rex, and she's basically the brains of the operation. Molly's the young one, too, right? Molly's the very young Do one. Do you care about any of these people? I have to admit I have a fondness for Gertrude, um, I, I, which, you know, so – like I said, just read that arc because if you really like Gertrude, you're not going to like what happens later. Um, and But you actually kind of look a little bit like Gertrude. Yeah, I mean, it's probably it, a too. It doesn't come across on the and... podcast as well, but with the glasses and <laughs> the, the glasses. hair. Yeah, yeah, the glasses and the hair, it's there too. Um, and God help me, I'm trying. I'm blanking on the last two who are the goth girls slash, slash witch. Um, oh, N- Nico. And, uh, oh, with the with – the... With the wand where it can only cast what, the, each spell once. One time, yeah. Which I think is a wonderful and interesting limitation and because uh, it forces her to get creative. And again, b- brilliant concept. Um, That's the one that I didn't reread for this podcast. And so I'm I, trying to remember the I'm name of the kid that, who, but... who flies the ship and is Gertrude's boyfriend and that's just not coming to me. Right, so. but actu- actually um, Carolina is the one that I, that I remember. Yeah. And, I, you know, I love – I love the whole premise of naturalistic hippie supervillains. Well, well, I, I I really like I really like um and and this is a maybe this is why Joss Whedon was so um, attracted to Runaways too because one of the things I liked about Buffy especially is that whole game of taking uh, these tropes from sci-fi and comics and fantasy and wrapping regular everyday growing up you know adolescent yeah. heartbreak in those concepts and runaways does that like buffy did that yeah. and carolina is a great example of that because she's got all these powers but she discovers she's not really who she thought she was because she's an alien and then she discovers she is not who she thought she was because she's a lesbian and it's uh you know i i, I kind of love that kind of it's almost Psych like Willow. In, yeah, yeah. She, she's kind of a Willow analog in a lot of ways. Which, uh, but that said, I don't yeah. think it's so much about the characters as it is about what a great concept it is that yeah. you're, you discover. You know, th- these are kids superheroes who have to fight their parents. They literally rebel against their parents because their parents are evil. And but they what's don't really, be but evil. what's really sweet about the way that they wrap that up is their parents, who admittedly are evil and self-serving, are also step up to the plate as parents at the very last minute. Um, right. They are their parents and the parents love them. Yeah. It's just and their parents are ends. also evil, yeah. which which is you could have had the turn in, yeah. a, in a lesser story, which would have been, oh, uh, we didn't like you anyway. You, we're evil. Yeah. And it's no, it's they, they're quite upset about this yeah. and try to explain, you know, why it is the way it is it, yeah. in, in a and it's, it's taken more serious than something like. Oh, is it Abyss? Is that the name of the, the comic where it's the, the kid discovers that his dad is a supervillain? It's a very similar kind of thing, and there's a he controls a robot. It's, a, it's another comic with a similar uh, premise, but it's played for laughs. Yeah. And one of the things I like about uh, Runaways is that it feels more um, emotionally genuine. Yeah. There's a Runaways um, issue, and I can't remember if it's actually Brian K. Vaughn or Joss Whedon who wrote it later, where you find out that Molly has been having a series of dreams or nightmares where she dreams that her parents are still alive and everything is the way it was before she knew what they were about because she misses her parents. And um, I think that was Brian Kay. Yeah. yeah. And it's a fantastic it's a fantastic issue because it reminds you that even though these kids had to grapple with the fact that their parents were supervillains who tried to sell the planet to a bunch of interdimensional aliens, um, look, first and foremost, they were mom and dad, and they loved their mom and dad, and they missed them very much. And um, They weren't going to sell them to the aliens. Just they the were going to take them with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then there was the whole, well, you were going to betray us so your kid could live? And they're like, yes, and that's what you're going to do. So before you get on your high horse about it, you know, mode in the eye. But um, I like this story because it's fast-paced. Um, it is. You have to admit it. It's boom, boom, boom. And I like that um, – it's a peek into the Marvelverse where people tend to regard folks like Captain America and or the mutants not as, you know, tortured protagonists and interesting characters, but as uh, didactic pains in the rear end. Um, <laughs> and, and there was no costumes. Yeah. No code right. names, really. They tried the code names and they realized how silly they were. And that's what I liked about it was it subverts all of those conventions. No, it sort of has all the things that I that I liked about the new mutants yeah. right. when they started, except without the superhero x-men trappings yeah. they're mm-hmm. just because they're on their own and then yeah. that's the i mean the whole one of my premise is really they're the anti-x-men they're yeah. the x-men without a professor x they're just on their own that's all they got i do so, like that um, marvel's kept the premise where the runaways are like you know we're not really planning on, on hanging out with anybody we're pretty happy with just the, the bunch of us 
even when later they add the robot and, and all that. There was a couple of Runaways X-Men crossover There have been crossovers, yeah. Things. Yeah, and apparently Molly beats up Wolverine in, in one of them, from what I can remember, which is very funny, because he's like a world full of depowered mutants, and that girl has to keep her power. But, um, you know, <laughs> womp womp. Right, kind of harkens back to when Wolverine and Power Pack used to yeah. fight. Uh, classic. Yeah. But, Everybody uh, loves the Power Pack. I think it's just, you know, a little girl kicking Wolverine's ass never gets never no. gets old. Well, Power Pack, I remember well, when it came out. he's about as tall as a little girl, too. Right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Power Pack was, you know, book about little kids for, for little kids is yeah. how I always read that. I, I, I just you, fairly or not, that's how it, I always read actually, that. Actually, read it now. Well, Runaways is not. But, no, okay. Read it now because that's my impression when I was a kid and I just recently read I don't want to read this baby stuff. Power book. Right. I was on the X-Men. The... Uh, it's written for comic fans who have kids. Ah. And if you have kids and you read it, it's a whole different experience. Mm. That's cool. Um, and is the first 25 issues are some of the most enjoyable comics. I did not think we would be endorsing Power Pack during this uh, broadcast. Sorry. Right. Slight tangent there. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nope, that's okay. Although that does bring up a really interesting podcast for the future, which is what are the comics you plan on reading with or to your kids? That's a great one. As yeah. parents here, yeah. we're all parents we're all here. Parents now. No, yeah. and Jill Thompson has a series called Trixie the Magic Girl, and I thought, hey, I have a daughter named Trixie. You can be darn sure I'm going to be uh, stocking up on those books for her for when she's older. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yes, I'm doing that with my daughter. Slowly, I went, I went, found her asleep with the Marvel Encyclopedia open on her chest the other night. Oh, You're raising your oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah, my son, who's just turned two, can pick out Spider Man. Which that's good to me go. is a win. Mm-hmm. My son and I had to have a talk about Spider Man and Batman because um, he has lots of Batman stuff, and I had to explain how Spider Man is absolutely better than Batman, <laughs> oh. and and that that he was wrong in thinking that Batman was so great. But we we came to an agreement, broke a, a deal brokered by my wife, where we explained <laughs> that um, Batman's got cooler stuff. And he so, does. of mm-hmm. course, kids are going to love the Batman toys because Batman does have cooler stuff. Yes. There's no doubt. Spider-Man's just got himself, but Batman's got every gadget imaginable. But in the toy line, you can get like a Spider-Mobile and a Spider-Plane yeah. well, and all that. That was what my son said. Is, Spider-Man totally has a car and a, and a jet and a motorcycle. I'm like, well, wow, that hurts. I don't know. I wonder if doesn't. kids gravitate to DC more than Marvel, though, because my nephews are both really big into DC. DC Batman is the coolest superhero Also, for kids. DC's always done the... the uh, the cartoons yeah. really well. It's like think... growing up for us, it was the Justice League. And... Yeah. So we're totally on a tangent here, yeah. but there's, here a sp- there's a book series called DC Super Pets, which is the pets of the superheroes. <gasps> like Rex the Wonder Dog. That is <gasps> fantastic and that my son absolutely adores. Wow. So um, he's he's now thrilling to the adventures of Crypto the Super Dog and his pals <gasps> who are all – they all are analogs. They're, they're the mm-hmm. pets of each one of them is has their their person is a superhero. I have to read this right. now DC just because pets. I'm dying to find out what right. the pets are. I, Julian may loan you some of his copies okay. if you're very I'll ask nice. nicely. Yes. So, so now to, since we're in this little kid, let's jump it up to Why the Last Man. Okay. okay. The uh, in total, totally adult because Why the Last Man oh, yeah. premise, which everyone should know, is uh, every person with a Y chromosome, uh, animal or human, dies. Dies immediately. Immediately. One second. All dead. They mm-hmm. drop dead, except for one guy, and his, and his pet monkey, who's also male. Yes, who's also male. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and that's how many of us haven't had those uh, dreams of being the last guy on the planet, and what that would entail. Right, and the answer is that it's actually kind of kind of tough. Right, I mean, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of it is is that it's an apocalypse story uh, with this with this really great twist, which is okay um, if it's just women on the planet, what happens then? And although interesting that it's written by a man, I always found that a little bit strange that all the characters are women except for except for Yorick and the monkey, Ampersand, the greatest mm-hmm. name for a monkey, monkey ever. ever. Yes. Yes. Um, I always thought that was a little strange that these, this world of women is conceived of by a man, by a male writer. I always thought that was a little odd. Just me? No, know. what I was going to say about it is um, one of the things I've actually grappled with while reading that book is you have a plethora of strong, well-written characters, and I thought to myself, absolutely none of these people, these women would, would ever be included or make it in a book that was supposed to be mixed gender. And the only way that you have so many strong female characters is by absolutely eliminating every other man on the planet or in, or in this fictitious universe. And I think it says something about the state of comics in general that in order for readers to accept a universe full of flawed, well-rounded, strong, resourceful, um, 
evil plotting calculating in other words fully dimensional female characters the only way that people could apparently swallow that was by oh okay of course these people have stepped into their own now that there are no men on the planet um it's it's kind of sad in a way there's a there's a I, funny I, moment where they where they mention actually in the last issue that um yeah. that Iran has the has has the bomb they've built a nuclear bomb yeah. and it's i i that really struck me because it is he's saying you know, we can take all the men out of the equation, but people are people. Human nature is what it is. <laughs> right. And, yeah. and very slowly, they all get back to human nature as the story goes yeah. on. And those, you start getting back to the nations and the tribes. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is how much of the first uh, third of the book, you have some people who take a look at this planetary event as a way to radically change society. I mean, that's the whole point to the Daughters of the Amazon and then you have some people who are doing everything they can to try to maintain this this society, as it were, like the the what is it, the Sons of America or the Sons of Arizona? The Arizona, yeah, yeah. Where you know, oh, right. should, and the, and the government, right? The U.S. Yeah. government is mm-hmm. trying to do that too. The Secretary of Agriculture yeah. is now the president of the United States, and it's it's pretty. I think it's true to life in a way that, you know, if, if, you, if you were to lose an entire gender, you're not going to say, ooh, now is the exciting opportunity for us to uh, rethink gender construct and uh, move on. Your first go- met, uh, order is, is survival, and to do that, you may want to stick with the societal patterns and philosophies that you know work for you already. But, um, you know, it, it does over time, gender becomes so much less relevant. I think that that's what makes the last issue so powerful is so much is made of York being the only man for so much and then by the last issue you just see how completely irrelevant he's become because there's no longer mankind and womankind there's just humankind there's a default it doesn't include man and and whoosh uh you know gender as a role is more or less obsolete or gender as a construct i mean the the clone to men are seen more as oddities than they are as uh as 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 a standard uh standard human beings i right. think because while you're reading it you're really thinking that that they're they're they got to preserve humanity yeah. by by well, what rounding up all the men yeah. and, and 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 let's get a breeding stock together and eventually we'll get back to normal and then you flash forward to when york is 80 and you see that most of them are like no actually we're pretty comfortable with cloning we're happy with it in right. fact in fact it's hard to clone <laughs> it's hard to clone men so we don't do it very yeah. often but we can clone women really easily yeah, it works the, for us the yeah. uh before it got to the point, there was a really nice sort of scene uh, in the book where they were talking about the animals that have gone extinct. Oh, that was so and, sad. And the, how, the, like, the, the, the rodents that went because of the 18-month gestational cycle. Right. And oh, like mayflies yeah. went extinct within a half an hour yeah. after it. And then cetera, Yeah, but they, they, they say yeah. there are no rats because the rats would have gone extinct, except then there are rats because nature finds a way. Yeah. Right? There are rats in the trash can. At the well, sharks is, can do that. Yeah. Which is... Yeah, so, a lot so of why fish, not anyone else? A right. lot of a lot of fish and a lot of reptiles do it now. What I thought was interesting was in the last one, remember you find out that they're they're working to thwart the poachers against the lions, and I thought that was nice to to to, to point out that you were still gonna have these these terrible phenomena where people are hunting down and killing rare animals because they can. Um, well, there was some they did a good job of showing how um women weren't all sugar and spice and everything nice in the in the book. And they also yeah. showed how people were kind of blinkered by cultural assumptions because to go back to it again, like the women in the dream time, and they point out that women on the African savanna were hardly affected because their lives had been so sharply segregated anyway that, you know, if a man dies, so what? We're still hunters-gatherers. We, we've always been. We always will be. Um, we're but, in, in D.C. Everything falls apart. And they point out that, you know, so, that there are so many professions that were so predominantly male in order to return to a level of technological competence, you'd have to search far and wide. And how do you build up that knowledge base again? And what nations have advantages? For example, Australia has a huge advantage because it had women who could operate submarines. And that's something that the U.S. didn't have. I mean, in real life, women are only now beginning to get training in the U.S. Navy for submarines. So, See, see this is one of those things that, that not to get all, you know, postmodern here. Mm-hmm. But I was a comm major, so um, it is why the last man feminist is it anti-feminist? Is it something in between? Because I can go both ways, right? On one level, what you said about how you know one of the stories is look, women can be just as bad as men, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is one of the things that happens in this, which to me is not necessarily a positive message it's sort of saying look if we take men out of the equation you'll see that women are just as capable of all the terrible things that men are but at the same time it also makes lots of comments about how um women aren't given opportunities in our world that they 
that they finally get only after this ridiculous catastrophe happens. Yeah. And then there's, you know, in between that, this a lot of time is spent on on gender not mattering. So, you know, I, I'm not quite sure what I think. It's it, there's a lot here, obviously, and it's probably a little bit of all those things. But but I, I I'm kind of ambivalent about. I can't say this is a you know it's a a, a feminist work that is about why women you know, have all of these things that they're never allowed to do, except maybe on the meta level of commentary that usually you don't see it. Well, I took a couple semesters of feminist theory in, in college and grad school. And I'm, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, me but too. I was a comm major, so, you know, yeah, it happens. No, no yes. but what I was going to say is, is you, I, I, that's kind of a loaded question to ask just because there's so many different definitions of feminism. That's true. What you can do is you can argue that why the last man may be feminist from a classical feminist perspective, where the goal of classical feminism is to make sure that there's equal access and opportunity for all genders. But you can also argue that Why the Last Man is not feminist if you look at feminism as being defined by gender essentialism or if you look at feminism as being defined by, um, again, like postmodernist feminists who would say that it's all just a societal construct and, and on and on it goes. So I don't think you can say definitively it's feminist or not feminist. I think what you can say is it's just a look at what happens when you take an entire gender and its societal constructions out of the picture, what happens? Do people rush to fill that void with something that feels familiar? Do they try to rewrite the definitions of gender, or does gender become completely irrelevant? So the uh, the rushing to fill the void, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. They focus on this a couple of times in the book, mm -hmm. the women who would dress up as men and act as prostitutes. Oh, yeah. Or, or well, they talk the about right the term. transsexuals, yeah. you know, the the, the, the the female to male transsexuals were tremendously popular. They mentioned that a couple of times in the series, too, mm -hmm. because these were women who were essentially, quote, unquote, men. To feel, yeah, filling yeah. the roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, But it comes down to if, if you lose half of your planet, maybe you're like, oh, my God, what do we do now? And instead of thinking, oh, blank slate, let's recast society, you're like, let's try to fill in the blanks because this is how we know how to function, you know? It's like putting a spare tire on a car rather than saying, let's find an exciting new automotive paradigm where we have a cloud of air we float on, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't help thinking, though, that um, it comes back to the fact that this is – he knows he knows that there are all sorts of different things going on here, and he tries to address it. He's got the supermodel who is collecting dead bodies, which is kind of an interesting commentary. I mean, he, he's, he is extremely aware – of all the gender issues that are going on in what he's writing, that this isn't just a story about the protagonist is a man too. Let's just say that oh, yeah. Yorick is the protagonist. So it's a man writing. The man is the main character, even in a world where all the other men are dead. They still manage to have one guy who's the protagonist. But he's, what I he's love is they like turn a, him into the dam, damsel in distress. Right, he's totally an yes. F up. Like, yeah. Of, oh yeah. The only character, to, yeah. the only he's guy to slacker. survive is like a slacker loser. There was Failed almost, magician. <laughs> right. There was almost nothing redeemable about him as a character. Yeah, he doesn't even have that many outstanding personal qualities. No, he no. wasn't that interesting. See, so again, you know, it's it's there's his perspective, and yet he's the last, and he's he's messed up. He's not. He he's kind of a slacker. Right. Um. So all all that's going on, and yet, you know, again, my 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 com major speaking here is at the same time it's a male writer it's a male dominated comic industry more more i think even now we could say more mm -hmm. comics readers are Man. men than women right oh, yeah. um although it's i think that composition is changing and that you can't you can't just assume comics readers are men like you could um uh, in the past it, yeah. it, it was not true then it's really not true now and i've been i've seen at comic con and other places it's totally not true but i have to say that and i also have to say male writer and all this the, the while it's logical that um you would have lots of lesbianism in a post male world because people are still sexual creatures and they you know and there are no men anymore and so it doesn't really matter what your preference is you, you got no choice here um there were times when i thought that the you know it's hard for me to watch scenes of lesbian lesbianism in popular culture especially written by a man and not think of who the audience is dear penthouse i you know? never thought it would happen but one day but a one day all the men died all the men. <laughs> right. and then and, and right down to the last issue mm -hmm. the last issue yeah where Even in, in flashback we issue, see you we, have hero and beth getting yeah, together and, and exactly they which, don't which, skimp on the details which is probably not unrealistic again but at the same time i don't know i'm kind of conflicted because it's also a guy 
writing probably for more men than women mm. scenes with lesbians kissing and having sex. And it's like, yes, I think extrapolation wise, it's right. And at the same time, I'm like, how much of this is serious? I'm telling a story and this is what would happen. And how much of it is sort of titillation? Right. And I think it, it, it varied because there were some times when it happened that it did move the story along and it was... There was like the yeah. character development, and other times it did feel more. Oh, there's that whole safe world plot, safe word plot line where Yorick has right. the S and M experience because it's supposed to exercise his survivor guilt over being the last man on the planet. And yeah, that all, was weird. Really, really, this is where you're going to go with this so early in the series. But yeah. to return, I think the whole what I thought was interesting about Brian Vaughn is he basically wrote a whole series where. I feel like Yorick is kind of the shaggy dog in the story because <laughs> he's the MacGuffin. Well, he, well, he is <laughs> he because and the you think are. about how much energy Agent Three Fifty Five and Allison Mann and everybody else devotes to keeping him alive for the propagation of the species, only at the end to figure out that their aims and their goals were completely obsolete, and so is Yorick. And that's what unfolds over the whole series is the idea that focusing on the last man is a completely misplaced focus because obviously he's just a leftover. He's not necessary to the propagation of the species. He's not even necessary to, to the women in his life. In, in his life. And, um, and to me, that was one of the reasons that the, the, it, the ending was a little unsatisfying mm-hmm. for me uh, because so much was invested in him, in the journey, the adventure, the finding the solution, that kind of bit. And then, then to be the told end, he doesn't matter. It doesn't at the matter. end, going like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're sort yeah. of like, but I get that the journey was the point. Or well, maybe this or was maybe, supposed to be the maybe, first shift in the society. Or, or maybe it does matter. I mean, right, because because it's not as if at the end it's just him and a bunch of women. At the end, he is – spoiler horn. At the end, there is a clone of him, and there are 13 other clones of him. 17, I think. Or 17 clones. And he had a baby, right? Yeah, well, he had a baby with Beth, which was Beth too. Right. Um, There are three characters named Beth in this book, by the way. I like to call her the nice Beth. It's very confusing. I don't don't like original Beth. And there's the Russian Russian baby who is a boy. Yeah. Right. Cosmonaut baby. Which about as brilliant a reveal as I've seen in any comic where they discover that the astronauts up at at the Russian space station are still alive because they weren't on Earth when this happened. Yeah, that was a pretty great cliffhanger ending. Two men and a woman. And then the men die if i were those men i would be like i am never leaving this space no, station up. well they were they, i guess they run out of oxygen right. they, have to, they have to come back Send that was filters. in issue 12 so it's like a year into the series yeah. suddenly there's two more men in the cosmonauts right. so really brian, well brian vaughn great at the at the long reveal um because mm-hmm. he did that in ex machina which we'll get to in a second oh, yeah. i wanted to i wanted to say um Anyway, my my point about the last issue is that because there are the clones there, there is this question of like, well, maybe now there is a role for men in this world because there are these clone Yorks going around. But it's not it's not the we have to save society by having men, which is the initial premise is you you are meant to read it as this standard. He's the last man. We've got to keep him alive because it's the only hope for the human race. And I love how he pulls that away and says, no, it's not. The the whole premise you thought was true. It's not true. And then again at the end he goes, but it doesn't mean that it didn't matter. Maybe in the long run he has a place. It's just not – he's not the solution to the – the savior he's not the savior of the human race yorick brown is not gonna right. save it the turns human out race his clones are as useless as he was yes yeah. this is also well, true. maybe maybe this is actually <laughs> another to get back to the whole meta commentary um question and especially while brian vaughn is writing a story you know a man is writing a story for a male-dominated medium for a male-dominated audience and yeah. so on and so i could forth. write a term paper on that one let me but tell you. what i'm saying is by the last episode what he's basically saying are men in this world have become what women in the comics book narrative often are which is you throw Whoa. which is that present you, which is present they're present that they're occasionally useful and or amusing but <laughs> you're not going to put them front and center as protagonists they're not going to be useful i don't like they're being objectified there. that way <laughs> <laughs> does it make you feel dirty yeah they <laughs> might as well just call the yorick clone okay pretty boy come on yeah here. yeah put on this mask and strut for mama but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that might be issue 61 yeah so interesting though the uh so the york character kind of a slacker useless guy that as you're reading you want him to do more you want him to be more present does. and more but i had the same thing in reading ex machina with mayor 100 100 okay before we get to ex, yeah. ex machina because i know you're trying to make a transition i have one more thing to talk about about why the last man which is brian Kavon's most noted work i want to talk about why 
I want to talk about why the plague happened. Because um, I think we talked about the ending a little bit, and I, I like that there was an ending. But but the, people often look for answers to questions posed in works of fiction. I've discovered this. And, and sometimes the answers aren't as important as the journey that the story takes. The process of discovery. Yeah. And so in, and I'm actually going to quote this from in issue 57 of Why the Last Man, there's a scene after Yorick and Beth finally get together for a brief moment before... It all falls apart. That is so romantically phrased compared to what actually happens in the comic. Yeah, yeah. They basically <laughs> see each other, they have sex, and then they break up. Yeah, um, and and admit that that there were other people yeah. in between. So, um, but there's this great moment when because the the in the central mystery to this series is why did this happen, right? And it's it's so not about that. I mean, it's the driver, but it's not what the sh- series is about. The series is about this world and what would happen and the journey that they take. And um, I think this is is really great that he addresses it directly in in issue 57 where Yorick says, um, turns out the crap that saved me is connected to what caused the gender side, monkeys and clones and some kind of morphing thing. As far as answers go, it was vaguely unsatisfying. And Beth says, after everything we've been through, is there any explanation that would have been satisfactory? And uh, for a guy who also was on the writing staff of Lost, I think that's really interesting because yeah. it's the same philosophy. It's saying, look, I know you want us to answer questions, but, um, you know, that's not the point. And, and Brian K. Vaughan is on the record as saying the answer to what caused the gender side in why is in it uh, somewhere. But I want readers to but, figure out which one they, they find most acceptable. Right. There are lots of theories in the books. One of them is right. He's not going to say which one. Yeah. Which, you know what? I think is genius. I kind of don't care, right? I think I kind of love right. the, that we don't know. We have a lot of ideas because, you know, what? life is kind of like that. It, it is messy and sometimes you just don't know well, what here's the thing really is, the if, answer was. If you had a definite answer by saying, oh, well, you know, clearly it was caused by the elder doctor man or clearly it was caused by XYZ, you'd have a billion internet fans jumping on board. Well, and that can't be. That's wrong. And here's the science and here's the breakdown. And here's why. And instead, you have all these fans who are debating what the possible cause is and it still allows them to retain their delight in the story as opposed to saying, well, this could have been a great series, except the premise for why people died off is totally flawed. And once you move past that, I guess it's okay. Right. You can believe what you want to believe. Yeah, exactly. Ultimately. I sort of like that the the why it happened kind of became a non-issue, non-issue. because ultimately yeah. when a crisis happens, why is an interesting academic kind of discussion yeah. to have, mm-hmm. but ultimately it doesn't matter i suppose that's the the question embedded in the title of the story right why the last man right yeah and the answer is Eh. why not yeah exactly (laughs) what did you think of the ending i I, before we move on i want to i want to go back to that uh, because my impression is that it was kind of controversial the last issue is set 60 years in the future Mm -hmm. although there are some flashbacks to the intervening time Mm -hmm. um and I'm, uh, you know, people, endings are hard and, mm. and people don't, we've, we talked about that before and people often find them unsatisfying. Although honestly, you know, usually I rarely remember the ending of books. I remember all the great things that I liked about the books and I don't get all angry about the ending. Mm. But I think with serial stuff like TV shows and comics, you invest all that time and then you're like, oh, I wanted it to be a good ending. But it's so, also like the ending is what, at least in my perspective, makes the story, like all of the great stories. It's because they have a great ending. All right. And it ties it together. At least when Mm -hmm. you think about why you like something, the end is such a key part, if not the reason. (laughs) And for this, it really felt like the ideas petered out. And maybe it was sort of like as time marches on, these questions became less important and society redid itself and now is moving into a new golden age, blah, 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 whatever. Um, It, it, to me, kind of felt like it was petering out and it, it... Especially when they, um, spoiler alert, you know, killed Agent Watcherhead. And it it seems so arbitrary and almost random and why. So so there's two things happening here. There's the penultimate storyline and then there's the final issue. So the penultimate storyline, I agree with you. Oh, they wrapped it up way too fast. Out of it was just this like, boom, boom. Yeah. We boom, talked about boom. this with Planetary, and it's yeah. actually very similar. Where yeah. I really li- loved the last issue as a mm-hmm. coda, yeah. But when they had to wrap up all the plot lines before that, it seemed awfully sudden. It's like, yeah. and the Israeli terror or the Israeli militia squad is here, and, oh, and she's got Beth a is here, wish. and yeah. we've killed characters off, and you know, right. it, it was just it's like we had to end it. It seemed yeah. awfully abrupt, yeah. to, because yeah. we wanted to See, end this it is number why 60. I, this is why I liked Runaways, is because the ending on that actually seems like a really natural stopping point, and the pace makes sense, whereas 
and why the last man and an ex machina, which we'll get to later, and why the last man, it feels like uh, he gets to let's see, it was 60 issues for Why the Last Man. He gets to, like, issue 53, and then is like, crap, I've got to wrap this up. Right. And, um... Right, so you le- you're at less with that last, that last, uh, Wise and Wherefore yeah. story arc, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, I need to, I need to wrap this up in four issues, yeah. and, and it is, you know, it is not, it's certainly exciting, but, and, and it, and it has some impact emotionally to have the, the death of, of Agent 355, and, and also the emotional impact that she finally finishes her scarf and gives it to Yorick yeah. after knitting it for the entire... That was the thing. My wife yeah. is a knitter. She loves that there's this <laughs> kick-ass secret agent knitter. Um, that was all fine, but when you step back and you're like, well, wait a second, what just happened? It kind of doesn't work. <laughs> no. Well, there's... Um, you, if you look at the art for Neil Gaiman's The Sandman now, the art is kind of all over the map and very, very striking in that it's such a relic of when it was produced. But one of the things I've always really loved about that series is that it's very obviously deliberately plotted out to where the ending makes sense. And they do have like a four or five issue denouement where all of the loose ends get wrapped up and you as a reader are left with a sense that my, my time paying attention, this has been well spent. Whereas... Um, with Brian K. Vaughan, it's just weird because he does spend a lot of time carefully building this world and laying down these themes or or, or laying down these storytelling elements, and then it's just so fast at the end. I don't know Which if it's a, a pacing problem or if it's a. Or, and or, or I don't think it's is. like he got canceled and it was told no. you only have four no. issues. He chose his ending date. Maybe that's why we like his the Runaways better yeah. because in the the corporate comic thing there is no ending. Yeah, right. So things just go on in the serial nature because again, endings are not all writers are good at endings. Yeah. Neil Gaiman happens to be good at endings. Yeah, Garth Ennis is good at endings. Um, but the funny thing is, the 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 ending in issue sixty of Why, which is about the big picture, is not about the overarching plot. It's a, it's about where the characters end up and what happens to the society. To your point about Brian Vaughn being good at the big concept, it's the conclusion of the big concept. Yeah. I thought that was beautiful, and I actually mm-hmm. really liked how Ex Machina ended similarly because on the big oh, the, he does a great job with last panels. Scale, oh my god, very strong. It's just that his plot resolution, which was in the previous stuff, eh, like, that really? was not right. as good. But but I, I left I left both of those feeling good about having read them, yeah. mostly because the last issue did work for me, even if the the plot resolution was messy. I, I don't know, for what it's worth. Well, best last panels, I would say, because I remember after I finished issue 60 of Why the Last Man, I just sat and stared at the last pa- page for a while. Those and... last three or four pages with no dialogue are, are beautiful. And then with Ex Mach and I, I did the same thing, where I just looked at the last page for a while and was just like, oh, my God, what, <laughs> so, what just happened? <laughs> so so let's move on. We'll move on now to Ex Machina, which is the 50-issue series that was also mm-hmm. relatively recently concluded, yeah. about Mitchell Hundred, is that mm-hmm. his yeah. name? Yes. Who Mitchell. is the mayor of New York. For one term. For one term. And uh, and is this universe's only superhero? Yeah. Yes. And, and, so, and what's interesting is when we meet him, we see that he's the mayor of New York and that he lives. In, and then it's revealed, I believe, that that he's in a New York post 9-11 where there's one tower of the World Trade well, Because Center. as in his little superhero career, yeah. he stopped the second tower. Right. But we don't know details. They all come out in flashback. We discover that he was a sort of superhero with a jetpack. Um, and then we discover Called that the great machine, the great yeah. machine, mm-hmm. which is great, and it's a cool outfit. Yeah. We discover that the jetpack is not why he was a superhero. He, a strange series of events, lead him to have the ability to talk to machines. Mm-hmm. But he's also the mayor of New York in the mm-hmm. present day, so it's got this West Wing kind of politics angle, plus flashbacks to his superhero past. And then he warns you it's not going to end well. Yeah, he warns you pretty early on, and so like, it's almost reading. the first issue or the first arc. Yeah. He's you like, see "This that. is going to be a tragedy, and this is and and you, you see you no see the shots of uh, Mitchell in the future. Yeah, in yeah. his like wife beater shirt mm-hmm. and looking kind of unhappy and yeah. broken. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, again, great concept, right? Great right. concept, and the the flashback idea. It's a concept we haven't really thought of before. Essentially, what if what if the mayor of New York was a superhero who who got elected because he saved, saved one something. of the or, World or, Trade Center yeah. buildings, right? Yeah. A superhero besides re- yeah. electoral politics is the way I want to go. I actually thought it was a really elegant send-up of a lot of the post-9-11 um, fantasies some people may have had where, oh, if only this had happened or if only that had happened. 
And basically what he's saying is, look, even if you have a Superman to save a tower or to 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 alter the scope of the tragedy, that doesn't eliminate the day to day problems that are much more um, that have a much more significant impact on people's daily lives. You know, and as and I think as a New Yorker, this was kind of him rebutting a lot of the national dialogue and rhetoric about 9-11 and what it means and so on and so forth and saying, no, no, look, you know, let's let's not forget that New York had a lot going on even before this. So. So the uh, one of the things I didn't like about it is a concept really awesome. And everybody said it's like the West Wing of comics and, and stuff. The Every time they went into the kind of policy sort of stories or mm-hmm. focused more on policies, it didn't ring true to me. Oh, like the marijuana plot? Um, like the marijuana as an example. Yeah. Also, the the art, which is beautiful, it's uh, very photo-referenced um, Tony Harris, I believe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Overall, really Beautiful, striking Beautiful. effect, great faces. But I, this is one yes. of the places the faces. Art... I want. I faces. want to stop you right yeah. there oh. to say one of the things. Unlike so many comics, Ex Machina, on any panel, you, I know what Mitchell Hundred's face looks like yeah. because his face is his face, and in every panel, he's a person with a face. And you can, you know, so many comics you, right. from from panel to panel or it issue is to issue, such a the, the depiction is yeah. is is varied. And with them, that's a guy. I'm He's imagine, a guy with a face. I there know was like that a is. Greg Land hate site a few years ago where somebody was just ranting and raving about how much they dislike Greg Land, and they were going off about I think Ultimate Fantastic Four and how Sue Storm basically changes from panel to panel. And that was never ever a problem with, with um, no. no. Anyway, Harris, sorry, it's beautiful. So just but you said faces. It's like, where ah, the faces. where the art fell down. So that's where it was really strong. Where it mm-hmm. fell down for me was again in this kind of policy things. That mm-hmm. so he's the mayor of New York City, yeah. which has got like the fifth largest economy in the country, if, if you included all the states mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. The and all you saw was him, his deputy mayor, his secretary, and an intern. Whenever he was like, those were the four those were the characters. Policy and right. the. the uh, uh, commissioner of police mm-hmm. um and that was it like so in all the scenes that were the policy things or when they're well, i in, think the west wing is about they, that realistic yeah. too <laughs> but, but, no, but the west wing you always see people walking there's like staffers around doing right. things there's the motion why are the halls like, so empty right every right. hall was empty every room yeah. was empty i was like no anytime the mayor is out there would be at least 15 people right in fact in there's, a, there's bubble, a like it, there's it, a scene where there's a i think it's a a, a blackout that um the Somebody's caught in an elevator. The deputy mayor's caught in an elevator. And there, there's actually a scene which is like, oh, geez, there's nobody here to run the city. Mm. Really? <laughs> right. It's a big city. It's a big – and that's – There's and, more than one. And a small government here. is yeah. great. Right. I mean, hey. And maybe considering his faces were so guys. good, it would take too long to have drawn all of those uh, faces yeah. and the book still wouldn't have been released. But it, it fell down for me there because it was right. trying to be kind of real. Yeah. But so, didn't ring true. So something we talked about with um, – with the way that the mystery plays out in in uh, Why the Last Man. I want to come back to here, which is um, Brian K. Vaughn has a really good skill of of holding back information and very slowly letting you in on what's going on that I appreciate because I think there's a tendency for a writer to say, okay, here's what the backstory is, and I've got it all planned out, and I'm going to play it all out in the first 12 issues you know, or the yeah. first season of the of the TV show, and then they're out. They, they've done – they played it out. They have nothing more to hold back. And he – their stuff – I mean that's a – Ex Machina is a 50-issue series. There's stuff that he's dropping in issue 30, in issue 40, mm-hmm. key pieces of information that have obviously been known since issue one, but he just refuses to show you. I mean how long is it before you see him um, – at the World Trade Center on 9-11 and oh, then and towing yeah. the airplane to land it somewhere. How, it, that's like 30 issues in. Yeah. I mean, it's – so I was really impressed. And, of course, the backstory of wh- how he got his powers and what the that ultimate – really late development. En- ultimate enemy is going to be. Yeah, but there, there's some stuff. Which he I He has like dreams yeah. about brains and B-R-A-N-E-S, the multidimensional yeah. kind of brains. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and that his powers came from somewhere and they're out there and they're really bad and you're supposed to stop them. Early on, and but it doesn't really get resolved until they're in the 40s of the issues, which I loved that it felt set up. How much yeah. of it he made up on the on on the spot, I don't know. But it and then felt he has those dreams in the, in the finale of the I series. loved yeah. that yeah. the one character with the Beatles song that didn't exist. Oh, yeah. right, which is totally tied into the whole parallel universe yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. That it's this idea, which I always thought. I always think of that too. That's the, he hit one of my favorite concepts about parallel universes, and I love to see it in there, which is. You know, uh, Stephen King wrote a story um, 
like this too, which is if we have parallel universes, there are works by people who died young. They're, they've got their albums from later. It's the Beatles albums yeah. from the 70s mm-hmm. or John Lennon albums from the from the, the 80s and the 90s or, you know, the, the fifth Nirvana album or all these things yeah. that don't actually exist or books that were not written or were written differently. Um, and uh, and that all plays out when there's the this Beatles song that doesn't exist that is playing on a radio. Isn't it playing on a radio that hears it? Or there's, uh, there's a guy singing it? iPod or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's your first hint that, that this is not parallel universe, yeah. universe or that there are parallel universes at play here, that this is not, you know, it's not just the one universe, which is what the story ultimately is, 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 is sort of about. Yeah. Well, it's, it's also uh, the parallel universes thing, I think, is another one of his meta stand-ins because the whole series is about ultimately the decisions that Mitchell Hundred makes and where, where he lands because of those decisions. And isn't that kind of the premise behind every parallel universe's story as well? Choices in every universe shape the outcome of that universe. And um, if you take a look at the last ep- the last issue, which I found to be a very surprising issue in a lot of ways, but also very logical, it's, it's the culmination of all his choices. Everything you find all those decision points and where he decided to turn in each one of them, and you see the branches kind of getting lopped off each time. It is the, the series does take a an interesting turn when he goes to the Vatican. Ugh. And comes back saying, I'm going to be the president of the United States. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, okay. Which I, I, I thought that was sort of strange, but it, it, it made him, it made his decisions a little more understandable yeah. in that way. Um, that he, you know, the Pope basically says, you have a demon inside you and I'm going to, I'm going to perform an exorcism, which is very strange. But in the end, it also sort of is consistent with what the story is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he, goes from being kind of this accidental mayor to being a very ambitious guy in the span of a couple of issues you know that's why it sort of worked but it was a big a big turn uh, to lead him down this path that he was i I suppose inevitably going down but it made it feel a little more realistic than it would have otherwise well you do watch him kind of losing his soul or his idealism as it were over the course of the 50 issues yeah right and that's right he was just a superhero who (laughs) saved the world trade center and he was running for mayor because he wanted to do something that wasn't be a superhero anymore. Yeah. But well, that's not what got him elected. What got him elected was being a superhero. Yeah. yeah. But he was like a third string kind of bureaucrat, not very bright. He was an engineer. Character. He was yeah. an engineer at the Brooklyn Bridge. So yeah. he was just a civil engineer, just a guy. Yeah. Much like Yorick. Right. And that's the thing is like the yeah. parallels and a lot of the characters. Well, more in the successful runaways. than Yorick. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, sort of. if Yorick had been into magic. brighter than Yorick, you know, like. Especially as it gets into all that policy stuff. He was yeah. kind of dumb. What I what I do find interesting about all of Brian K. Vaughan's books, and this was actually pretty striking between Y and Ex Machina, is the the male characters almost always have a really troubled relationship with their parents, especially their mothers. Again, this is why he went and wrote for Lost. Yeah. There's just so much in common. And they also have really troubling relationships with um, the women in their life who they are not sexually involved with because Yorick always had a really hard time with Hero. Right. Um, well, actually... Regardless of the many Beths in uh, why, why the Last Man, <laughs> so many Beths. York had a lot of women with whom he had relationships that were never ever going to be romantic, and he he did have difficulty relating to these women or trying to understand what made them tick, and vice versa. And I found that to also be the case in Ex Machina, where you've got uh, Mitchell has a really hard relationship with his mother, right? And then there's you know the, his relationship with the sister's journal in January. And his chief of staff wasn't his chief of staff a woman? She's the one who's got a family, and his right. relationship with her, you know, it, it's it's probably the smoothest thing he has. And, but, the, and the chief of police, the chief of yeah. police, yeah. But you know, he does. I, I find it striking that this is a theme that comes up in both of his adult as opposed to teen works. Is that you've got these protagonists who are basically average men who have who have not dysfunctional but troubled family relationships. And, and they're who, placed in extraordinary circumstances. Placed in extraordinary circumstances, and they have difficulty relating. Actually, even we never see this in Why the Last Man, but Mitchell Hundred also has difficulty relating to other men too. He's a very lonely guy. He's a very lonely guy. You know, and uh, at, by by the last episode, you see that he just doesn't have any friends. I mean, he just can't. He he lacks whatever uh, 
interpersonal emotional skills are in the toolbox that let people reach out and connect. Well, his and most, that his, shows in a really graphic way twice in the last issue. I mean, his most goes, faithful friend yeah. is Bradbury, his his former army buddy yeah. who is his takes bodyguard. Takes the fall for him. And he takes the fall for him saving the world, mm-hmm. which I, I like that thing that it's yeah. it's like the spider-man oh you're a menace kind of cranked up to a hundred which is he saves the world and the chief of police says i'm gonna arrest you and and his buddy takes the fall yeah. and goes to prison <laughs> for two years or something like that three years yeah. and, and that's that was his last friend and by the time that um by the time he comes back in the last issue that relationship is completely destroyed too yeah well it's it's sort of that metaphorical his best friends are machines yeah Right, he talks that's to the machine. Who, that's he yeah. who we can communicate with. Yeah, and yet the most the thing that 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 stuck with me is remember when he has the showdown outside his mom's trailer and the gun lies to him, and uh, then in, in the last issue the gun does something that is there's him and a gun and it does something that's somewhat surprising and it's also a reminder that even though his best friends are machines the machines can be fickle when when you give them a mind of their own or machines reflect their owners which means that they're not always predictable, so. Um, I do think I hadn't actively thought about that, but yeah, he's an engineer and his best friends are machines and uh, he's just a profoundly lonely guy. Yeah. Yeah. Fa- fa- I think a fascinating character. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. When you talk about Brian K. Vaughn and, and the concepts maybe being more than the characters, hundred to me is a really interesting character yeah. with a lot of contradictions and a lot of a very uh, modern character, strange questions about him. I mean, there's some, I was reading, somebody was saying how, um, you know, there, there's a lot of questions about his sexuality because he basically has no relationships, and and there was a thought that maybe he's gay, but we never see him with anybody. I I actually don't believe that's the case because it turns out in the end that his friend has these feelings for him and that he rejects them. Yeah. But um, but there's also a flashback where he's talking to the reporter who ends up being possessed by the same thing that gave him Made his him powers, and she turns she tries to destroy the world and is thrown into a parallel universe, and that's how the story ends. But there's a flashback there where they have a kind of charged conversation where he says, maybe when I'm not the mayor anymore, we can talk and we yeah. can take this further. Um, but the fact that there are all these questions about 100, and who is he, and does he love anybody, and does he love men, does he love women, does he love just the machines, what's going on? You know, I found that fascinating because he is an interesting character. He's not a blank with this blankness around him. He's a guy with some empty spots of his life. It's fascinating. Well, I also wonder if the speculation about Mitchell's sexuality is meant to reflect the speculation that has actually surrounded other mayors of New York, too. I mean, Ed Koch never married while in office and still hasn't. And there are people who... They're, they're, my grandmother was like, oh, he just never found the right women. And there are other people who are like, because the right woman would have to have block and tackle. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so It's hard to find those, yeah. even in Why the Last Man. Well, right. they would have died. Particularly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the crying game would have had a whole different ending if it had the, the virus. Right. Bloomberg's not married either. No, but um, – isn't he divorced? Yeah. yeah. I always yeah. read it as being this is like the adventures of Mike Bloomberg superhero yeah. <laughs> on one level. Yeah. Even though Bloomberg is mentioned in the in the comic as as running yeah. and Hundred comes in as this independent candidate and upsets him. Mm-hmm. But um I always thought about that. It's like basically what if Bloomberg was a was a superhero instead of a uh, you know, media magnate. Yeah. <laughs> um I'm not sure he's so much of a hero that people who work for him. <laughs> yes, as the as as we uh uh, record this a hurricane is is bearing down on the city of new york and as we walked into the studio i think we we said what would mayor hundred do <laughs> evacuate yeah no right. he'd, he'd get his jetpack on he'd fly into that hurricane fight and that hurricane do something fighting. yeah or not no but what can you do against a hurricane? what can you do it's a force of nature it's one guy what can you do against an alien race that's going to come over from another parallel universe and eat all of humanity yeah again again yeah what can you do? I, I don't like the alien ex machina conceit. I just uh, well, they're not really aliens though. Yeah. They're just like the worst, the worst people from the worst parallel universe yeah. or something like that. But, it happens. Yeah. In well, so if there's an infinite the number of parallels, then? did I find satisfying? I, I I ended it sad for Mitchell, and I think in a way that was kind of satisfying because he's the vice president of the United States. <gasps> Yay! Oh. Better him than Palin. <laughs> you know, I mean that that's. Uh, you know, well, he made the difference, right? That that apparently he, John so. McCain is the president and Mitchell yeah. Hundred is the vice president of the United so, States. So, so bullet dodged. Um, but uh, 
This is where we get angry tweets and emails from people who are, you know. Well, if I wanted to listen to politics, that's um, right. Well, well, it's I, a comic about it's a, it politics. It is a comic about politics, yeah. and so so he's he's positing here that this yeah. is this is one of the things that changes is that John McCain is elected president, Mitchell Hunter is the vice president, yeah. and I think it's still lingering out there this idea that he's going to be. It's not that he might be the president; it's yeah. that the Pope, you know, leaves him with this feeling that he will be the president of the United States. Yeah, right. I do and wonder John if McCain's it's a still not in great health. Yeah, he's an old. Yeah, old guy. no, I actually do wonder if it's a commentary on the the way we pick our our, our national level leaders is we have they have to have an easy backstory that we can relate to or that we can aspire to i mean our president is somebody where if you are pro obama you're like look this is the son of a single mother who used a meritocracy and here he is now and if you are not a pro obama person you're like oh people like him from his hopey changey stuff and and well, and, and it makes them feel good right. to elect him. And there's some and, cynicism here too, right? Because yeah. because it's it's uh, Mitchell Hundred, who is an interesting figure. Um, but you, we know all about him, right? Yeah. So we know that Mitchell Hundred is he has no friends. He well, this kind is what of, we know. But his he, media package is going to be right. this is the man who saved the world. The, the world. The World Trade Center. World Trade Center. Half the World Trade Half Center. the World yeah. Trade Center. Well, right? that's better than saving none right. of it. But we you know, know of him as a. Pot smoking, pot smoking, friendless, alien, friendless, alien infested uh, weirdo, and <laughs> uh, weir- weirdo with superpowers who yeah. who broke the law repeatedly as a vigilante, and doing something that was not particularly responsible and actually quite reckless because yeah. he almost dies lots of times. Who potentially killed. Uh, one but of his best get, friends, but you know he's going to get recast in the national narrative. Sure, as, well that's exactly as it, the striving right? son of a single mother who you know through hard work and diligence became the became a hero, and then yeah, uh, the, and, and then, then decided the to go in the national stage, who you know, left on his own accord yeah. his his office, as which is mayor tremendously to become, appealing to people too. Yeah, I mean the same way if you if you are for Sarah Palin, what you say is here is somebody who proves that you don't have to be part of an Ivy League elite to you know to make a difference and to govern. And this is somebody who's in touch with populist rhetoric. And if you're anti-Sarah yeah. Palin, it's you're not like, really God, she terrified. And it's not about who, what their individual politics is. It's about the creation of a story the myth. about right. a candidate. Yeah, but that's always Which myth can you identify myths, with? And we have case. myths around yeah. politics and always. we have myths around superheroes, right? Yeah. So here we got Brian K. Vaughn saying, Look, the myth-making is always the same, you know? And there's there's stuff underneath the myth that is the real story here. And the question is who's going to be able to see the story. And at the end of the day, it's only us, the omniscient uh, reader, thanks to the omniscient narrator. Is he a good guy or is he about yeah, Mitchell? What, yeah. In you know, just, end? just as, just as why the last man is, is, is like, it all comes down to human nature. I mean, the, the whole point to Mitchell is that alien infestations of technology aside, he's ultimately human. I mean, some stuff he does is good and some stuff he does is bad. And at the end of the day, well, he simply is. I think the bal- on the balance, he, he what he does is good. Uh, and but in the last issue, he does something quite, you know, quite horrible. Do we want to do the spoiler horn? We'll so do. We can we'll do another right. spoiler horn here. <laughs> that's always fun to do. Yeah. But um, he so he he um his buddy Kremlin who helped him when he was the great machine and has now actually tried to get him to not be mayor anymore because he thinks he's destined for greater things than that. He thinks the politics are terrible. No, he doesn't want him to be a politician. He wants him to go back to being a superhero. Yeah. He is sort of at the end of his rope, Kremlin is, and he's got a gun to his head and he's threatening to kill himself and 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 at some point hundreds talking trying to talk him out of it. This guy so I got to say really frustrating character. I sort of felt like, geez, at some point just let him kill himself because yeah. he's nothing he's no good for you. What Hundred does, however, is talk to the gun and say, Bang and the guy blows his blows his brains out. Or did Hundred tell the gun to blow his brains out? Whatever. Um and for me that was that moment of like, oh yeah, I don't know what I think of this character. Now, even though on one level I totally understand his frustration at that moment with this character who tried to ruin his mayorship and wants to, to him to go back to the way it was, which they can't ever do. It's like um, that really annoying high school friend on Facebook who's always like, "Hey, the past. yeah, yeah, exactly." And you're and you know you're like, oh, "Ignore." Yeah, but um, I, have, I have a little baby now. No, <laughs> <laughs> I I actually wonder if that was a subconscious uh, manifestation. If if Hunter deliberately said "bang" or if it was just something where he's got the connection with the machines and his conscious mind would have been horrified, but his subconscious is like, "Dude, this just makes things easier." Bang. Um, yeah, he wants to do it anyway. I mean, that, yeah. that's the, I mean, or there's the he question didn't make of, him put the gun to his head. Or there's right? the question of does the technology reflect the will of the owner? Because, again, remember many, many issues back when 100 is um, 
talking to the gun outside his mom's trailer and he's like do you have any bullets left and the gun is like no and then oh surprise turns out the gun lied and 100 is really surprised that the gun lies and his mom's like look what do you expect you know people, it's a liar's gun yeah people yes people can lie this gun belonged to a liar maybe technology reflects yeah. its owners so maybe the gun had picked up on kremlin's death wish and on mitchell's desire to just have this over with i mean i i like that there's a bit of ambiguity in there um, the yeah. thing the thing that horrified me about the last issue is how he responds to his friend's confession of love and and just the the total re- the total revulsion and rejection of that I thought were were much more shocking to me than Kremlin's death and and to me I agree with you to me yeah. it seemed less about sex and attraction and more about how he was an inconvenient person in his life. I mean, it actually sort of yeah. felt like that. Like, I thought this was over. Why are you here? You're kind of a mess now. I can't really be around you because you're a mess. Yeah, and... well, because he starts with that. And I think what that does also code for is please don't lay any emotional demands on me because right. I cannot ever handle that with anybody, I'm period. incapable of feeling. Exa- well, <laughs> you know, if it, maybe this goes back to if he does have this this profoundly troubled childhood, maybe he did grow up thinking, okay, feelings are too much trouble, or maybe he never learned the emotional vocabulary that he needed to be a functional adult. And so when somebody who is adult comes and confesses messily and awkwardly and drunkenly that I have loved you for years, like he has no tools to deal with this. And so his first response is, it's just inconvenient for me. Right. I can't I can't handle this. Which is not to say that Hundred didn't profess his love for Bradbury earlier, right? There, yeah. He says, I love you, Bradbury, right? I mean, earlier it happened. So it's not as if well, that hasn't easy, been out there. Well, when it's easy, he says that. But, but that's when, when but, it's easy, yes. But, you know, when it comes down to, you know, if you actually love somebody, it's it's the hard moments where where, where you have to step up and he can't. No, he's uh, he's unable to. He, he, he blows it. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things that I really like about Brian Cavon's work is that it does lend itself to this kind of discussion. I got to yeah. give him full credit for that. I do enjoy reading his stuff. I think his I love that he has endings for his stories. I that love he that doesn't he doesn't to... beat you over the head with ideas. Like he lets the ideas just kind of sneak up and uh, develop organically. He's patient right. with laying out some of his his premise. And, and there's stuff there to talk about. And we don't end up having to say, well, why the last man... You know, over the course of twenty years, he did a hundred issues, and it really the the mid the middle the middle forty weren't very We're looking good. Looking at you, Warren Ellis. You know, so <laughs> I like that he said, "No, I'm going to end this story now." And there's something to be said for that, even if you have issues with the ending. I think yeah. I think it's it's got some depth. And if you haven't read it and you've listened this far, we'll just say it again. You know, this stuff is worth reading, and because oh, yeah. it's got a beginning and an end, especially. You, and Runaways comes in a couple of volumes, yeah. so it's got some clear ending. Buy like points the first too. three volumes of Runaways, and you're set. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, um, so it, it is a story. It's like reading a novel or a good season or two of yeah. a TV series. Oh, I should also point out that you know we've, we've talked about the art in Ex Machina. The art in Why the Last Man is also very very pleasing. Um, yes. It's and he stuck with the same pencil as Pia Guerra. Pia Guerra. Yeah. Pia Guerra. So more cartoony. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But really works with the and story. And there's and yeah. there's the and there's the um there's the woman in Why the Last Man yeah. is not the writer but it's the artist. Yeah. Oh. And every cover has the Y motif in there somewhere. Yes. Cover so covers really are really beautiful. Pretty. The cover art yeah. is beautiful. The Ex Machina's covers are really pretty as well. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 You know, so, so it's not just about Brian K. Vaughan, it's about the artists who work. No, and he works very well with artists too, which is which is also pretty evident. The fact that his work translates so well with so many different pencilers, I think, is 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 a strength of him so as a writer. What is he doing now? I can't think of anything that he's working on in comics right no, now. No, I can't. I don't either. know. It wouldn't surprise me if he's doing some like Hollywood something or other, you know. <sighs> screenplay or something like that because he did he didn't he move to la and he he did move he worked to LA. for lost so. and yeah. and i don't know what he's doing now what did i oh oh it was the grant morrison interview i read recently where he actually said that most comic he he was talking about the end of comics this is in rolling stone the grant morrison interview and what he said was as far as he's concerned most of comics great narratives are moving to the screen and he thinks it's a pretty natural progression now they they wanted to and, do a why the last would, man movie yeah they had shia labeouf lined up for it for a while which would have just been horrible Ouch. yeah but it sounds like the sticking point is that um shia they, labeouf they, doesn't want to do it he well they want to do his transformer character they want to do uh three the director who was attached to it wanted to do it as like two or three movies that that, that it's not enough story for a single movie which, i think it would have made a great mini uh, hbo series well that's i think that's right. exactly all of these all of yeah. these brian k vaughn ones feel like tv shows to me not yeah. movies because you need to play it out that that like journey good TV across shows, not network right. tv but, shows right, no, but like, uh, the journey across north america yeah, and why the last man dead. around the yeah. world like exactly. why the last man could be a tv show like, like the walking, walking dead. dead yeah 
Exactly. AMC, fact, we're looking at you. In Pick fact, it up. maybe not because maybe AMC's not. got the budget problems. No, you know. somebody else. If you okay, like the next Stars. Walking Dead, yeah. Stars Network, Stars, HBO, maybe FX. FX. Really good. FX would do well with um with uh, Ex Machina because FX um and this forgive me for digressing into TV, but this is something that I also uh, hang out with a lot. FX tends to excel at uh, doing dramas which are ostensibly workplace dramas, but actually more about human condition and. Uh, it's also kind of dude. Ex Machina. Yeah, and it's also kind of dude skewed, which Ex Machina is as a, as a, as a series. Can you imagine right. Ex Machina written by a West Wing guy, Aaron, Aaron Sorkin? Sorkin? Aaron Sorkin writing Ex Machina. I'd make me very happy. Sure, it's it's then it literally is the West Wing with a guy with a jetpack. There's a lot of yeah. I think that would actually President work. Bartlett. Yeah, Strap I'm not. I'm not, a hu- I'm not a huge exactly. Sorkin fan, but I think that would as long as you had Brian K. Vaughn doing the plot, because I think Sorkin is really weak on long term plotting and right. execution. But, but his dialogue, but is dialogue characters, dialogue, yeah, yeah, yeah yep. that dialogue is great. Yeah, although to yeah. be fair to Vaughn, he um, he is not afraid to have long stretches of dialogue yeah. that are sometimes quite enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. They're not Aaron Sorkin, maybe, but that he's not afraid to have and some sometimes yeah. clunky. Sometimes, yeah. yeah, it's true. So that brings us to the end of this edition of the Comic Book Club. We will discuss more comic-related things at a future podcast. Look at the Twitter Yay. stream. We'll announce it on the Twitter stream. Yes, exactly right. I'd like to thank my guests in the Comic Book Club, Jason Brightman. Thank you for being here again. Great to be here as always. And Lisa Schmeiser, thank you for joining us as always well. Always my pleasure. Uh, until next time, I'm Jason Snell for The Incomparable. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.